You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hi, welcome to Comeback City, where we explore Detroit's past, present, and future. Today, we are talking about the Michigan Central Station, the train station that has been the symbol of Detroit's decline for so long, but no more. This is the ultimate Comeback City story. Um, This episode is brought to you by Spectacular Strolls. Spectacular Strolls offers 15 historic walks in Detroit. Each walk is a self-guided 20-minute tour. Visit SpectacularStrolls.com to order your next Detroit history adventure. I'm Linda Shepard. With me today are two of my favorite people in the world, Matt Schenken and Ed Brohard. But first, I want to give a shout-out to Tim Brohart, who provided our great intro music. Thank you so much, Tim. I am rocking it out to the music. We are, I think we're getting professional, Linda. I think we're, I'm, I'm so excited. It's a possibility. Yeah, <laughs> seems like the real deal. Oh, yeah. And that's your son. It's my son, yeah. He's, um, he's a, a semi-professional, I guess he's a professional musician. He plays in about three bands. Give a shout out to his main one, the Out of Favor Boys, right. Kalamazoo, Michigan, and all of Southwest Michigan. Yeah. Well, what a great Father's Day. We just had Father's Day uh, two days ago. So happy Father's Day, Ed. Thank you very much. So Matt, Ed, and I attended the press conference this morning for the big announcement of Ford Motor Company moving into the Michigan Central Station. Big announcement. Um, Huge it announcement. was a media event. It was, absolutely. I mean, everybody who is anybody was there and on the podium. Uh, it was very exciting. Even, now, even a special uh, performance by our own Big Sean. Big Sean. Now, let's talk to our friends on the East Coast. Let's talk to our friends on the West Coast. Let's talk to our friends in the middle of this country. Who don't know what the Michigan Central Station is. And don't, and don't really understand what Ford Motor Company is. I, I, I strongly urge them to um, go on and just listen to Bill Ford's uh, speech. It, it gave me chills to be reminded of what Henry – It you know, made me cry. It made Linda cry. You know, Linda came up. Uh, we were kind of separated uh, by the by the vastness. We all took our different kind of stations mm-hmm. uh, down there just to get different perspectives. And when Linda and we all came back together after uh, the show – it was a show, by the way. It really was. Um, there was the Poet Laureate. Uh, of the United, of the United States, by the way, there was Bill Ford, there was, um, the mayor of Detroit and, uh, the governor of the governor of Michigan. But, uh, Linda came back and, and I was like, is everything all right? And she was just so emotionally spent by this, but in a good way. But it was wonderful. It was. And it was right in front of the station. That's what I was so, so amazed by this 
huge, enormous building that has been vacant since for how long? When did it close? 30 years ago. 30 years ago? Yeah, 87. 87. I mean, it's been closed. It's been abandoned. It has been the symbol of Detroit's ruin for way too long. And here they had set up a stage. They had screens. Was that amazing, the way they turned that archway into oh, a movie again, screen? Our listeners, go online and see. But but let me let me speak to the impact that Ford Motor Company has had. Now, years ago, you know, General Motors is a larger manufacturing company. Mm-hmm. It impacts the world. I asked my father once, what is it about Ford in Detroit? And he said, Matt, Detroit is Ford country. And I said, what does that mean? And he said – doesn't matter how many f- cars General Motors makes or if Toyota makes more sedans or not. Detroit is Ford country. Our grandfather worked for Ford. Your, my uncle, your father worked for Ford. Yeah. My father had a brief history with Ford. Ford, Detroit and Ford is, is Ford country. I'm in love with Ford at this moment. I yeah. drive, I have two Ford Motor Company. I have two Ford products. I have a Lincoln MKX and a C-Max. You drive a Fusion. Ed, you got any? Have I, you had any? Oh, that's you know okay. what? My first car was a Ford. There you yeah. go. It's okay. There we go. Uh-huh. I, I, yeah. 1957. I, okay. Absolutely. What was it? Really? 57 what? It was just a custom. Like a was, custom. There it you. was like uh, one of those two-tone ones, blue and white. Oh, um, I loved yeah. that. Yeah, that was great. You know, I have pictures of that car, I think, when I was a kid. Right. Blue and white. And it was, I remember thinking That's it was right. the most beautiful car it was ever a, made. It was a three on the tree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. I, now I, I will I will cede the stage momentarily to my lovely cousin Linda and to Ed, because Ed is our historian and Linda is the, the you know, the center of this, this podcast. But let me just say something about um, the Detroit train station. You know, it has been an iconic uh, piece of architecture. It has remained uh, – it, it symbolized something that had been a place of vibrancy. It is a place where people came and went. It was a place where during the war, you know, uh, our veterans were dispatched from. And then it sat idle and then it became decrepit and it was this tall thing out in the middle of kind of this no man's land. That's now, right. now back in 1991, I've talked about this in other podcasts. You know, I had gotten into the jail Hudson building before it was cool to go into these places. I had gotten into the old train station. It was not hard to get in there. Vagrants, um, homeless people were in there. I didn't have to bring a gun or a knife. It was just where people went. Why were, what drew, um, homeless people there? The steam tunnels. These places were naturally heated. Oh, it was warm. It was warm. It was before copper and the precious metals were um were being scavenged by these places so those murals the urinals the copper ceilings were still intact the mosaics before they were pulled off i was walking through those you know um the, the desks were still in there coat racks were still in there oh you really did go through it what year was that 1991 okay. it was the year that i graduated from the university of michigan and i was working downtown uh at uh at a, a advertising firm downtown at the renaissance center and i would sometimes work on the weekends and it was quiet down there and that's when i got into the hudson building and when i got into the old train station it would don't get me wrong it was scary but once you got in there I never had a problem. That's even bef- that was even before Corktown 
really became, became much of anything. Town, yeah. yeah. So anyway, but mm. it, for our listeners to see this in my lifetime, to see this come back, to see Ford Motor Company come back from the brink of in 2007 Bankruptcy. this is this is before the big dive in our economy mm-hmm. ford motor company was in its death throes they had to leverage they had to go this is before the economy sank ford motor company was in the grips of death they had to leverage their blue oval they had to restructure why ford did as well as they did during the downturn of the economy was they precursed they went bef- you know they had to leverage their company they restructured that's Ford Motor Company was the only auto company that did not have to take a single dime That's from right. the U.S. company or from the U.S. government. That's right. So and, this and, and that wasn't made clear today because they talked about the big three and the bailout, but they never mentioned that Ford was not a part of that. Ford right. was self-sustaining, oh, and they did. They that had, is right. They had to. They had to absolutely mortgage the ranch to do that, blue oval and all. Uh, but they came through it and. You know, because because of that action, um, I have a lot of respect for them. In fact, we went out and bought Ford stock right after that. Good for you. Yeah. And it was, believe me, it was bargain basement junk Ford, stock. Ford, and Ford was on the penny. Probably worth yeah. some money now. They, yeah, it, it came up a lot. They, they were on the pink. Remember when they were on the pink sheets? Yeah. Now. I was driving Ford uh, Edge. I had a Ford Focus. They were making good products, and I could not imagine why Wall Street was looking at them and saying that they were a dog of a company. Well, Google was coming up, you know, these mm-hmm. high-tech. Well, yeah. this was an industry that was laden with a lot of manufacturing costs. They didn't like the River Rouge plant. You know, they saw this as an old industry. So they were, they were, they were downgrading the stock. Right. Well, I bought on I bought on the pink sheets too, you know, and they were penny stocks. You could buy yeah. Ford stock. I think I bought it at thirty cents a share. Wow, we didn't get it that low, but it was low. It was like but I was, a, above I was, thirty. I was I was driving those products, and I thought my dad had a couple Lincolns. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, the, the, you know, this was a good, solid company. That company, the way that the stock is structured, it's still family controlled, even though it is um, sold on. The New York Stock Exchange is right. still controlled by the company. So I will I will step back now. And but th- this was a momentous occasion. I've I have friends that are in their 80s and 90s whose parents worked both at Ford and at the train station. I have a friend Jack Sarcona who worked with his mother when he was a teenager, right out of high school, before he went to college at that train station. Yeah, everybody just, know everyone in this area knows those people. You know, it's it's so much a part of the fabric of it is. Of, now, you, Ed, you know that too. Ed, yeah. Absolutely. Ed, you act I'm the only one here that hasn't actually been inside the train station. Mm-hmm. You actually remember going there when it was functional. Well, yeah, and I did later on in you know before they closed down when Amtrak had taken it over, but it was on a shoestring. There were very few uh, trains leaving or coming in, but uh, I I did see it, you know, um, in its glory days. Not in its glory days, except for my very dim early memories. Right. My uh, we lived in Massachusetts. And when we made the move to Detroit, which my, was what year? Uh, nineteen end of forty nine fifty. Okay. So you were I was a wee lad, three and a half years old, 
And so, you know, my, my memories are just little snapshots that, you know, oh, that's where that was. <clears throat> I remember, for instance, going across the Niagara River because the, the train went up from uh, – went across from Boston and then to like Buffalo or, sure. or Niagara Falls, went into Canada, the most direct route, and then down to Detroit. Uh, so I remember seeing the Niagara River. I don't know if I saw the falls or not, but I remember going over the bridge. And then I remember coming in to this incredible station. I wasn't sure that's what it was. I was three and a half. But I remember this vast space and this huge height. Right. You know? And it wasn't just because I was short. It was because it was really tall. And these huge columns. I can still picture that, you know? There's no way even an adult could put their arms around them. They were just massive. And, uh, you know. I I can see that twinkle in your eye because what's interesting about your experience and mine is that I walked into that place and saw that same thing. Mm-hmm. You at three and a half, me at 23 and a half. Right. You know, right. And, and, and a different time and space, but still the magnificence was there. Mm-hmm. That, that presence, that immense space, that height, it didn't matter if you were three feet tall or <laughs> six foot three tall, yeah. right? Yeah, it was still awesome and something much larger than anything you can and, and when our listeners go yeah. and see it when it's been, when it's going to be remodeled they will have that same experience of awe and it will be put back into a, a state of elegance and and grace and uh, amazement they were going to they were going to tear that down in 2009 they mm-hmm. were going to demolish that and mayor duggan they they talked pl- him out of it talked him out of it well it was well there's an interesting story yeah, with that please tell they, us. Yeah. the uh, the city council had you know met and declared it a priority um, landmark, but in the very next meeting they also voted to have it demolished. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a, it was a priority, but it was an expensive priority. In what way? In what yeah. way was it an expensive? Well, priority? I mean, you know, to, if they were going to do something, it was going to cost them huge amounts of money. Detroit did not have that that cash did, on hand. Did, did uh, the who owned it at that time? Um, Maroon. Well, Medi- I, I Maroon? no, I don't think Maroon. No, Maroon hadn't ordered. Uh, hadn't not at that time. Um, oh, okay. This was in. Well, no, I guess it was. Uh, yeah, of course it, it must have been. Matty Maroon did own it. He right. did own it, but you know the the city. Um, they must have had some control over it because they voted to demolish it. But then, um, it fortunately, it had been placed on the National Registry of Historic Places. And uh, that was back in the 70s. And there was a Detroit resident uh, who was named Stanley Christmas. I think he actually ran at <laughs> oh some place. Oh, my gosh. I looked this up. He actually – because I – I thought Stanley Christmas, and he actually uh, ran, I think, for mayor at one point. I don't know that he was a contender. This is so funny. But um, he filed a lawsuit to uh, to keep them from doing it, and it worked. Okay. They couldn't. They couldn't demolish the building. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so thank you, Stanley. So, so just to backtrack a moment, who owned it before Amtrak? Um, probably city of Detroit. I don't, it wasn't privately owned. Right? Oh, did, did Amtrak, I mean. Am, Amtrak, when they took over the, well, no, they, it, it was owned originally by Michigan Central. Oh, Railroad. okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was Michigan they're the, Central. They're the ones that uh, built it. It okay. was huge. 
And uh, that was, you know, a major, major line. And because of all the industry and uh, here in, in, in Michigan. Um, yeah, let's go was, back to the beginning a little bit. Yeah, sounds okay, good. Okay, so Michigan Central Railroad was a subsidiary of New York Central Railroad, mm-hmm. which was owned by rail tycoon William Vanderbilt. That's right. Ah, the Vanderbilts. We know the Vanderbilts for sure. So um, the they hired these architects. Warren and Wetmore of New York and Reed and Stem of St. Paul, Minnesota to build the Grand Central Station here in Detroit. This was the same company, the same architectural firms that had built the Grand Central Terminal in New York. Right. So they did this for Michigan Central. And there had been a train station in Detroit downtown. But – um it apparently burned in a fire that happened often then, and uh, it they didn't want to relocate it downtown because it was on a spur line, and now the traffic was so immense, you know, the rail traffic, and uh, for for uh, commercial too, uh, that they needed to have it on the main lines. Interesting. And that went right down through Corktown, Del Rey, you know, as it went down to Toledo or branched over to Chicago. And we know from our previous podcast that Detroit was the fastest growing and continued to be the fastest growing city for a number of years. And at this time, or <coughs> I think by 1950, weren't they saying today it was the fourth largest city in fourth, the United States? Yeah, the fourth largest, yeah. Right. But, you know, when it was built – which was 1910. Um, let's talk about where it's located. It, we keep saying Corktown. Maybe people don't realize exactly where Corktown is. It's west of downtown. Mm-hmm. It is not right in the city center at all. No, it's about a mile out. And Corktown is uh, Detroit's oldest neighborhood. Right. Settled by Irish immigrants, hence the name. Corktown. They came from County Cork, Ireland. Right. And in, in, very interesting that uh, Bill Ford um, reminded the audience today that his great-grandfather, Henry Ford, was one of those Irish, Irish immigrants. And that, that's why I, I know that um, Ford, Ireland still has a has – a, uh, Ford still has a, a presence in Ireland. Uh, originally, I think there was an E on the end of their name. Ah. Oh. And uh, they, in fact, Bill didn't even un- know that until recently. Oh, that's funny. So, uh, the, so, so they're I, not English. They're Irish. No, the Irish Fords. Ah. Yeah. And I don't so, think I knew that. Yeah. And so they, they there's it, there, it's almost kind of prophetic that he would wind up doing this. In Corktown. Huge move in Corktown. I found another interesting thing in, in reading. Um, after shortly after the train station was built and opened um, in 1913, uh, Henry Ford bought up a lot of land around it. I'm I'm guessing I don't know this, but I'm guessing that maybe originally he thought that that's where he would expand with what is now the Rouge plant. Oh. Well, uh, you know what's interesting about the Rouge plant is this: Henry Ford never wanted a centralized. Uh, industrial plant. If you if you go out uh, out into the farmlands uh, around Michigan, around South 
East Michigan, you'll find all these little plants, all these beautiful little Art Deco plants. He never wanted the River Rouge. He reluctantly built River Rouge. There's all these small manufacturing plants that he hired farmers. So the farmers, after the after the summer uh, fields were planted and then harvested, these farmers he he wanted the farmers to have work during the during the fall and winter and mm. into the late spring. So you'll find all these plants that had been that now converted. You'll find them all dotted around uh, southeast Michigan, even into southern Michigan and southwest Michigan. That Very is, interesting. There's hundreds of these that plants is around. Interesting. Yeah, and he had to relent. And build the River Rouge because um, the the company went public and and the manufacturing just grew. He needed to centralize, but he right. did that begrudgingly. Okay, but when he did it, it was the, yeah, the greatest it, example right. example of a self contained you know, plant. I mean, and, everything. And, from- and, and and let me reiterate this: as as you know, people don't realize. You know, you know, Henry Ford has. There's been things have come up about you know him being a racist or you know supporting the Germans and being a fascist and things like that. Okay, we all have our demons. We all have skeletons in our closet. But let us not forget that man kind of created the middle class. That man created five dollar workday. The five dollar workday. You mm-hmm. know where New York was a centralization of banks and banking. Mm-hmm. Detroit was a centralization of the industrial revolution. I'm sorry. You know the South was agrarian and agriculture. But Detroit was it, f- folks. I mean, if if Silicon Valley is where all the technology is coming from, and you know, and the neural networks and things like that, I'm telling you, Detroit. This is where the world started making things on an industrial level, and it was really Henry Ford. It was. You and- know, I've I've talked before about how my grandfather talks about when he and his family moved down from Alpena to get jobs in the factory because. You know, why would you want to live on the farm, you know, and just eke out an existence when you could come down to the big city and be guaranteed this great income? Hundreds of thousands of people migrated from the south to the north. The great equalizer of this country was people of all races, Hispanic, black, poor whites coming up from the south and moving into Chicago and Detroit. For the manufacturing jobs, let's face it, it was the great equalizer. I mean, I, you know, it it, it 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 did more for integration than than a lot of things did. Yeah, I mean, that's it, absolutely true. Yeah, um, yeah. Back when uh, they built the depot, um, okay, they started. Can you tell? It, can you tell we're excited? We can are you, excited. We, I mean, it, it's like the excitement was almost overwhelming today. <laughs> and, um. So, you know, they started building it in 1910, and uh, they finished it in 1913. Boy, it took three um, years to yeah. build. Yeah. Huh. So, uh, $332 million? Well, I mean, it was $16 million then, which would be $332 million today. Right. So I'm surprised it's not more. Kind of. That, yeah. And the station alone was $2.5 million, which... And, and- It'd be fifty-five million, and you today. don't really get, you know, because there's nothing around it. You mm-hmm. don't get the size, the immense size of that place, because there is 
you know, it, there's a lot of just empty space around there. It is right. a humongous building. Now, more empty space now than there was <laughs> before um, because, you know, there's been so many buildings raised and things like that. Uh, so that made it even stand out even more. But even even then, it was, you know, it was the tallest train station in the world. It was. Yeah. yeah. And uh, whoever heard of an 18-story train station. And it's uh, one of the things that makes it so beautiful. It does too. make it beautiful. You know, Grand Central Station, it is gorgeous on the inside, but you don't even know that it's there on so, the outside, so really. Right. You've never seen the inside of this building? I have never. Wow. Okay. Hey, you know, not only is there growth going on outside of uh, Detroit, there's a little bit of growth going on inside of our own little podcast. We have a sponsor. We do have a sponsor, and I think now would be a great time to take a little break. And introduce our listeners to our sponsor. And who would that be, Linda? Well, <laughs> National Credit Card Relief. If you can't seem to stay ahead of your bills, then this message is for you. How would you like to have a large portion of your credit card debts, medical bills, and department store debt forgiven? National Credit Card Relief would like to give you free information on a proven debt forgiveness program. This program has been used by thousands to legally forgive millions in unsecured debt. It is not bankruptcy. It's not consolidation. This special program actually wipes clean a portion of your debt that is forgiven from what you owe your creditors. Call for free information and get all your questions answered in the first call. The more you owe, the more you can save. If you have at least $10,000 or more in credit card bills, this debt forgiveness program can be very effective. Call for free information and find out more now. 800-217-7170. There is no cost or obligation for the information. Don't wait. Call 800-217-7170. That's 800-218-7170. Get your debt problem solved. Call 800-218-7170 today. So we're back. Um, Ed. Let's talk a little bit more about the history of the station. Um, those pillars are just amazing. Um, you remember them from yeah. when you were a kid. You do. And um, uh, I didn't realize, but I do now that I've done, I looked at kind of world architecture. Um, the, build, the, the station, of course, is done in two parts. There's the terminal – uh, and then there's the office tower behind it. And um, so that the, the office tower gives it this amazing height and backdrop. Um, and the terminal itself is an impressive Beaux-Arts style, which was very popular at the beginning of the 20th century, end of the 19th century, uh, done in kind of classical style. Uh, some Beaux-Arts, you know, looked at Renaissance. Some of it looked at uh, Italianate. This is a classic kind of Romanesque style. You know, it uh, was part of the City Beautiful movement of the was. time. It was. I have to say, those two words, City Beautiful, 
I love those two words. Yeah. That's, that's great. And you can see it in some of the other iconic structures in the building like the uh, the wonderful uh, Detroit Public Library and across the street, the amazing Detroit Institute of Arts. They're all done in that that uh, classic uh, white marble Beaux-Arts uh, Romanesque style. Uh, is that so? If if our listeners aren't familiar with these kind of classical architecture terms, is mm-hmm. it like the Carnegie libraries that that dot a lot of the cities with that kind of Roman architecture with the pillars? You see yeah. them a lot on college yeah. campuses. You know, yeah, and you see them even in uh, duplicated in on a very small scale in every like small town. Uh, if they were going to build their most important building, which often was either a city hall, a courthouse, or a bank, guess what? It would be in a Beaux-Arts classical style. Very good. You know, even if it's on a small scale. You know, you go to little towns um, sure. that are not much more than kind of a crossroad. They're going to have one building that's that bank going to or the, be or, like that. Right. Yeah. Very good. Is, yeah. is that Ionic, Doric, or oh, what's the other? What's the other? Um, Corinthian. Corinthian. The thank other. you. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to remember. I think these. My my liberal arts education has paid <laughs> off finally. Thank you, University <laughs> of Michigan. So the centerpiece was the main waiting room, marble floors, soaring. Fifty-four and a half foot ceilings, huge. The architecture, uh, the architects, when they um, built the main waiting room, what they had in mind was the classic Roman baths of uh. Rome. The of Rome, uh, which, if you see like um, classical portraits of antiquity. Um, that's what they look like. These soaring ceilings. They're not at all what we would think of as a bathhouse or anything. Right. It was this huge kind of public space because the bathhouse was, in Rome was, you know, also a meeting spot. Sure. And, uh, you know, an important pr- place to come. And so they had massive pillars, they had high ceilings, and they had kind of soaring open spaces. And to me, one of the most exciting pieces of news that we've gotten about this restoration effort by Ford is that that magnificent entrance, that huge big area will be open to the public Mm -hmm. and will be a gathering place for people and be filled with shops and will be welcome. It's not just going to be an office. I wonder if they're going to have a toga party. Let's have a toga. (laughs) Let's let's have a toga party. (laughs) You know what I really liked about, um, and I don't think that they were just playing to the crowd. I don't think, um, up on stage, uh, when, when, and I kind of had, I had great seats because I was on the bleachers with all the camera crew because I was helping this poor camera lady, uh, get up to the, to the bleachers where the cameras were. And I totally, I totally like got a great, I got a great spot, but, um, there were bleachers across where they had Ford employees. They had people who owned businesses in Corktown. It was a beautifully diverse group of people. There were brown people and black people and white people and there were, Older people and younger people. Did you notice that up on that stage? The oh, bleachers yeah. behind Everybody it was, was just there. really it was. cool. And, it, and that was reflected in the audience too. I was in one of the um, one of the bleachers sections okay. that was on the side, and it was the same group of people, you know. And everybody applauded at the same things. 
uh, you know, the, the, the same lines, whether they were people that, that were suburbanites or city people, so old or young, they so, were all responding the same way. That's cool. I, I really couldn't see the audience per se from my vantage point. All I could see – so they could make up a diverse group of people on the bleachers where, you know, where they were presenting. But from your perspective, you saw a really diverse group within within the audience yeah. and you can't make that I up. D- I that's, did. That's and that cool. doesn't always happen in areas like Detroit. You know, sometimes right. there's a real disconnect between the audience and the uh, and the VIPs. Now, now let, let let me just say that, you know, what what this so, you know, the River Rouge is where they manufacture. Mm-hmm. Dearborn is kind of their corporate headquarters. They have uh, kind of – in the auto industry, they call it skunk works. It's where they um, develop new products. It's where they develop uh, – whether it's a car, whether it's technology. Uh, they bought a building down in Corktown where they're developing this kind of neural networks. It's where they're developing uh, their autonomous vehicle uh, kind of integration. Right. So this uh, this building is going to be a – not where they're going to move their new headquarters like General Motors moved down to the Renaissance Center. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a uh, – this is going to be a place where they're – bringing a whole new group of people into this kind of information age. This is, you know, I, again, I encourage people to listen to Bill Ford's uh, Bill Ford speech because it really talks about what the future of the automotive industry is going to be. It is really forward it's, thinking. It's riveting and it's up on YouTube now. It was put up almost immediately and it's very, very good. I mean, it is what the auto industry – you know, if anyone's thinking about moving to Detroit, if anyone's thinking about investing in Detroit and some real estate, uh, now's the time because holy moly, uh, comeback city. They made they made a, an allusion to um, this being similar to, for instance, Palo Alto in uh, in California, um, in the Bay Area, as far as technology, you know, a technology and Center. a a region. That uh, is an incubator for, and we've talked um, about this before. The big problem, one of the huge big problems Detroit has had, is a brain drain, and you know this is going to give people, young people, a chance to work on something exciting in the city. So right. you asked what I did after uh, the after we had lunch down at the Green Dot Green. What was that? The Green, green Dot, dot stable. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, you know they're putting in a new bridge. You know that the Ambassador Bridge is the second most uh, traff. Um, Second busiest uh, port of entry for products, right? The Canadian border. Yeah, They're putting absolutely. in a new bridge. Yep. So I went over and uh, looked at some real estate. <laughs> so oh. that's that's one of the things. And Linda's been encouraging me to look at real estate in this uh, area. Very good. Uh, so it's – I mean that's how exciting it is. It's still very affordable around What'd here. What would you find? Oh, there's lots of things out there. Yeah. You know, very very inexpensive. So, you know, there's there's industrial spots. The thing that you have to be careful about is when you're looking at industrial real estate is um brownfields. So, you know, you can buy something but has it been polluted, you know, and that can get you into some trouble. But there's so much real estate regarding housing. Oh my gosh, you know, it's just and I don't want to come in and gentrify and make it all, you know, fancy boy. You know, that's not it. It's How about fun. It's about being a community. What and a great place to be. Yeah. So Linda's got five pages. If you could see Linda, she's chopping on the bit. What do you got for us, Linda? Well, I just wanted to talk a little bit about where we were during the press conference today, which was right in front of the station in uh, Roosevelt Park. Right. Which is 
a very pretty piece of property Beautiful. that sets off the train station. It does. This gorgeously. train station becomes a backdrop to it, and it's off Michigan Avenue, right. so that you really have a long view. You have a beautiful um, view. Yes. Uh, with sort of a, as as an extended boulevard with uh, roads on both sides, culminating with this beautiful facade. Now, as this is all spruced up and as things are developed around it, which I'm sure they will be now, you're going to really have a sense. Wow. It's going to be an eye-opener as you go by on Michigan Avenue. It'll be a focal and, point. And you guys haven't cruised around on your bike because the roads go underneath the railroad track. You know, we oh, kind of ended up there today. Yeah. There was a lot of graffiti. On our way out, we went down a street called Newark Street. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, it was it, it it was kind of a uh, sort of a submerged sort of sort of yeah, like you the said where are we cut. on the dequinder cut? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and along the oh. side was just wall to wall graffiti and it wasn't even bad graffiti. No, it's beautiful. You know, it wasn't graffiti. gang graffiti. It was like really colorful, it, pretty stuff. It's I, I will tell you if 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 you're into biking, if you're in I, I would I would say bring your um don't bring your road bike, bring a mountain bike that's got fairly good tires because there's you know, there's some debris around. I'm telling you, you can park your car on Saturday or Sunday afternoon, bring your mountain bike, and just cruise through this area. It's it, it Roosevelt Park. You can go through the Delray neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It is fantastic. Well, people. I have a feeling that they're going to have some nice plans for Roosevelt Park, too. We've been talking about the flowers in the city, how they have really done a gorgeous job of landscaping, public areas. Yeah, you really see that downtown at I, Campus Marshes. You really do. And all popping. along Jefferson, I mean, they've really gone over the top and it's just beautiful. And I have a feeling Roosevelt Park is going to be just as beautiful when it's completed. Um, I did find out that the park was named for President Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore. Yeah. Who died in 1919. The landscape was uh, completed the following year. So. um, And again, remind, you know, uh, to our listeners, you know, Detroit's uh, is a spoke and wheel uh, kind of it's based like kind of designed like Paris. So Mm -hmm. when we talk, it's west of the city. It's actually kind of southwest of the city uh, where the train station is. Right, Ed? Right. 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 And. Michigan Avenue goes out um, east, due east-west, um, but because the uh, Detroit spoke is tilted a little bit uh, with Woodward Avenue kind of going toward the northwest, um, you know, your your basic spokes are Michigan Avenue and mm-hmm. then going to the uh, straight out to the northwest is Grand River, okay. which eventually goes to Lansing and, and beyond. Uh, then you have Woodward Avenue going north northeast, and then you have Gratiot Avenue right. that goes to the northeast, uh, and eventually out to Port Huron. Right. So, so, so again, it's like Gratiot, Woodward, Grand River, Michigan. Michigan. Yes. Those are, and those are the four main. Yeah, okay. and Michigan the big was folks. Yeah, and Michigan was US twelve. That was the main road. That was the main stage. And, and then the bands are like Outer Drive. Then, like, what are the, what's the, what are, are there's the, like two bands. Yes, the closest uh, end that they, uh, the, the original city was sort of comprised by Grand Boulevard. Grand Boulevard. So you okay. have East Grand Boulevard that goes over to Belle Isle. Okay. You have West Grand Boulevard there that go. goes over to, um, oh, maybe a little bit downriver, sort okay. of uh, Fort Wayne. Which are magnificent to yeah. drive or bike. Yes, or. right. It's because they curve around through all the, you see all the neighborhoods of Detroit. 
and then on the outer was Outer Drive. Okay. Okay. The same name as the road in um, in Chicago. So uh, that wends its way all the way from Dearborn on the west, um, all the way almost up to Eight Mile Road, and then eventually over to uh, the far east side, uh, Chandler Park, and, um, and 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 then there's the mile roads that just cut do that just cut east west. The the mile That's roads. Right. If you get lost, you can hop on the mile roads, and you can go either east or west. If you go east, you're going to hit the you're going to hit the strait or right. the river. You're going to hit the Detroit River. You're going to yeah. hit the water. Right. Right. That was all. That was all part of the Northwest Ordinance, where they subdivided everything in mile square. Okay. Uh, mile square, and so the the original spoke design. Once you get out past eight mile, they that no longer exists, um, and so pretty much you have a grid. Right. Okay. Yeah, one mile by one mile. Yeah. So if you're a visual, if you're a visual learner, that should be, you know, that's right. Obvious, which I am. So you know, back in its heyday, you know, the train station was just an amazing, wonderful place. Um, Henry Ford had his own private car, the Fairlane. Uh, you know. Franklin Roosevelt, Charlie Chaplin, Thomas Edison, Harry Truman. I mean, you know, they were coming through that station all the, the Vanderbilts, time. the, I mean, well, everyone. Yeah. The Carnegies, the, I mean, yeah, everybody. anyone, everybody. Name you know, them. Think, think about the train station. What are the big servers that they have that are processing all the information? Mm-hmm. I mean, train stations are kind of like servers. They're kind of like, I mean, it's what, it's, it's, it's what information now travels on the internet. It's what train stations served, right? It's kind of the neural network of it's like where things came and went, right? That's Products, a, that's people. a good way to think of it. Yeah, right. Uh, interesting. But, uh, b- thank you. I, it's another thing. That, <laughs> it's another thing. My. <laughs> but you know, we should talk about what happened. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, there. You know, there. We could write books. People have written books. Uh, about the the rise and fall, the decline of um, cities like Detroit, but Detroit and just w- railroads too, and railroads. I mean, of course. these cars. Like we were talking, I said, when how long was the golden age of railroads? You mm-hmm. know, maybe three, four decades or something. But the golden age of expressways no. is going on forever. No. I mean, travel. Well, actually, for travel for traveling by railroad. You know, you have you have horse and buggy, then you have stagecoach, mm-hmm. and then traveling by train. You know, people traveling by train was you know eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties, all the way through the fifties, really. Mm-hmm. But then the expressways came into the fifties, so you have a good eighty, ninety years yeah. of people traveling by train. Right. But then Eisenhower put the put the expressways in. So from and then the suburbs came in after World War Two. Right. So it's what killed passenger rail. Was the suburbs? It was. It really was, and and that did start in the 30s and 40s. You know, Henry Ford and and, and Firestone actually went in and killed small rail in Los Angeles and in Detroit. They went in and they mm-hmm. tore up those rails. They bought them out. They sat. Yeah. They actively sabotaged the the small rail. Right, Ed? Yeah. Well, General Motors had a, a big right. part of that. <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. in Detroit, for and sure. killing electric cars, electric anything, <clears throat> any technology around. That's uh, right. Tesla and everything. Everything like that. Yeah, so. that's right. That's why there's kind of a um, exquisite irony with uh, Ford making the move back to purchasing the train station because one could make the case that 
you know, oh, the, the, oh, that, never... that the motor car is what brought about the demise of, you know, rail travel. And let's face it, the train station is never going to function as the kind uh, train station the way it did. That's why I like your analogy to uh, an, an information highway because it, it's repurposing, you know, a, uh, a terminal. Right. Uh, Much – yeah, because people have – people still have to move physically from one place to another. Right. But and, I've got a question for you yeah, guys. Right. OK. How come highways are government sub- subsidized but we vote for transportation millages? Yeah. Well, you know, what this do you mean? doesn't seem fair to get some sort of a large transportation system, public transportation system. It has to go on the ballot and we vote on it and our taxes go up. But we don't vote on whether there's an extra lane on I-75, right? No. It, it's, this well, does not seem fair well, to me. Well, government picks winners and losers. You know, they always have. <laughs> yeah. Are you an anarchist? Is that what's going on? Later? Well, I'm just saying this is this is the well. It's you know, you know why it, you it, know it, it's hard to compete. Like like with, Bill Ford said, there's seven and a half billion people today. In 50 years, it will be 10 billion people. Mm-hmm. It is not sustainable. The system that we have today is not sustainable. I loved what he said. It really is true, and and there has got so the better ways of moving people is autonomous vehicles will be a better way to move people. Having having systems of transportation like mass transit have to come back into it because there's no there's no other way. I mean, Uber came out and they were talking about having you know kind of a Jetsons like you know transportation system where they were helicoptering people back and forth. Well, you know, it makes their investors happy. I don't <laughs> see you know I, you know I don't know Uber's Uber. I just whatever, but. You know, I'm I'm glad that they're forward thinking. It makes me excited about the future. At least it's not dystopian. You no. know, <laughs> at least it, no. you know it gives me hope. And I think, and I think, Linda, that's what made that's what touched your heart is that there's hope for the future that we can reinvent ourselves. That here in the Midwest we can reinvent ourselves. In this, a, is, this is a great in state. a transportation center. This is a great Michigan. Let me say something. Michigan is a great state. This state took people who had almost no education. They gave them something. They gave them a skill set. They put them to work. Do you know that? Do you know that in this state for decades, you could be a skilled tradesperson and own a cottage next to a white collar person up Mm -hmm. in, up in Lake Michigan. This state has so many resources. I've traveled this United States. I've gone to every state in this union. I love beaches. Some of the most beautiful beaches are right in the state, Lake Michigan. Absolutely. I mean, you can have, you know, there <laughs> people come to Michigan. It's a lovely state. Detroit is coming back, isn't it, Ed? Do you love I, this? Do you I, love the state, Ed? That's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this podcast and doing the research for it. It's a great reason to reconnect with my city roots. And I have. So back to, you know, this transportation conundrum that happened, you know, uh, I have some figures here. New York City, their train system carried 78 million people in 1945 and 22 years later carried 25 million. So, I mean, you know, they just couldn't compete with the highways. So um, – and, and look at how – and what did Bill Ford say? You know, every year we're spending more days in traffic. That's no right. one likes it. It's 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 giving people heart attacks, yeah. you know. It's, it's, it's keeping not people, fun. It's keeping people away from their it's kids. It's getting worse. It seems every year too. You know, ugh. 
1971, the federal government formed Amtrak, which took over the train station, the Michigan Central Station. It was station a, wow, that year. It was 71. Yeah. Although, you know, rail service was still struggling at the time. Um, I guess it got a little bit of a boost in 73, 1973 with the oil crisis. Gave train travel a boost, and uh, Amtrak did have a plan to clean up the Michigan Central Station and modernize it, which may not have been a good thing, mm-hmm. but uh, it didn't happen. Well, you know, on the East Coast, I, you know, oh, God, traffic on the East Coast, I, train track. But, you know, Amtrak does a really good job on the East Coast. You know, if you're an East Coaster and you're commuting from D.C. to to Philadelphia. The Acela train. Yeah. yeah, the Acela yeah, train. Yeah. I mean, they do – that's a very important piece mm-hmm. of mass transit on the East Coast. And so, you know, here to go to Chicago – Oh my God! Have you tried to get to Chicago from Detroit? I mean, a horse and buggy would get you there faster. <laughs> uh, but they did. But Amtrak did finally buy the rights. They have right of way from the cargo traffic that the um, that the uh, I don't know whatever the train is. So, uh, wow, we're this might be a two parter. Well, there was plenty to say about this very, very exciting news that has really just happened within the last couple of weeks. We're all excited to see it develop, and over the next four years, we're going. There'll be a lot of changes. It's going to be fun to follow this story. It's a four-year project. Uh, Well, that's what the the projection is on on actually the whole restoration because it's huge, which would bring it to twenty twenty two. Yeah. Yeah, but in the meantime, we're going to see a whole lot of uh, of really obvious changes as um you know, things develop around it as more and more people now are moving into uh, you know because they own this building next to it, they own the quote-unquote factory in Corktown right. and they're bringing a whole lot of personnel for, with Ford. 5 and, million? Yeah, and there's going to be other other ancillary Corktown is going to change. Yeah. Ancillary industries and, uh, you know, well, uh, we'll, businesses that will yeah. spring up. Well, we'll revisit this topic in, in maybe a little bit different angle or a, bit, a little bit different light. But I think this is definitely uh, – it's uh, it's newsworthy and I think it's definitely something Well, the that's, thing that's exciting – and Bill Ford did make this point or was it Warren Evan? I think Big Sean made it – was that <laughs> – um, this goes beyond because of the the geographic location of the uh, the Michigan Central Station. It's really pretty far removed from downtown. We've seen incredible changes downtown, but one of the complaints is, you know, or one of the things people are concerned about is, is this going to have the power to spread out from there? Well, this is a sure sign. This is a neighborhood. That this is a neighborhood. This is what they've been yes, talking about. A stressed neighborhood and. If it can happen here, it means it can happen in it can happen almost anywhere. anywhere. Yeah. It's up to you, <laughs> Detroit. Detroit. I think you're right. Okay. Well. You want a comedy? I'm giving you singing, baby. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us on our journey into Detroit's past, present, and future. And this is and this is present, isn't it? This is it's, this is comeback city is. present. And right. I think it's future too. And future. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Thanks. 